Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We sing many years at the end of most services that we serve here for the Metropolitan and for our Archbishop Alexander. And it is meet and right for us to do this as they are our fathers in Christ, the bishop, and then also the Metropolitan, the primate of the Orthodox Church in America, through whom uh, Metropolitan Tikon then has uh, communion and uh, relationships with the other primates of the other Orthodox churches. This Sunday, we commemorate the fathers of the Seventh Ecumenical Council, which now I'm realizing that I forgot to do in the dismissal, uh, but through their prayers. Uh, this Sunday is also has other commemorations, uh, as I uh, did there at the end, especially the longer commemoration for the synaxis, and the synaxis meaning just the coming together, the gathering of the elders of the Optina Monastery. So I've also been talking about or going through the uh, Vespers prayers, the silent prayers, the priest does uh, during Psalm 104, the beginning of Vespers. And in the second silent prayer, we have this line, guide us to the haven of thy holy will. In talking about our metropolitan uh, and our archbishop, uh, also the fathers of the seven ecumenical councils, uh, but also the synaxis of the elders of Optina, uh, there is Within the church, uh, very, the very idea of having church is that we all need guidance. When we pray to God to guide us into the haven of your holy will, uh, there is absolutely in the sense that we're asking God to be the one who guides us. But in the wisdom of the church, uh, you may have heard a line something like that, the one who guides himself is a fool. The one who has no one else to speak into his life uh, has no way to know where he's going. It's the blind leading the blind. You're, you're guiding yourself. And so the church puts before us uh, throughout the year Sundays where we have commemorations of the Holy Fathers. Uh, and in the commemoration, we usually focus especially upon the dogmatic element that happens in those ecumenical councils. As you heard, the underlining is Fathers of the Seventh Ecumenical Council, defending of the icons, which ultimately, uh, as you hear, why the condemnations of Arius. And you're wondering, didn't we deal with Arius hundreds of years before this? And yes, but in the mind of the church, the, the ecumenical councils and dogmatic content of them are always dealing with who Jesus Christ is. And Arius is kind of the arch nemesis, the arch uh, one who we say began basically the problems with understanding who Jesus Christ is, or at least he becomes the icon of that problem. So when we come to the problem of iconoclasm or the denial of the veneration of the saints and our Lord and his mother, uh, we ultimately, in the mind of the church, have decided against the incarnation, which goes back to issues with Arius. We also, in those ecumenical councils, are given much guidance beyond that. Uh, this is where, if you've ever heard of canons, this is where the church, uh, especially in ecumenical councils, provided particular canons, ways of or rightly ordering the church, uh, church discipline, uh, especially for bishops, 
uh, and for clergy, uh, but also for the faithful. So there's one element of guidance. There's a dogmatic uh, element of guidance that we receive from the Holy Fathers in tradition uh, that was located within the synods of the church. Uh, but guidance also in the life that we live together in the church, uh, a way of protecting us, a way of making sure there's peace within the churches. But I especially want to underline that there is the guidance that we all need if we are going to find the holy will of God. That in our searching and in our struggling and in our desire to follow God, as revealed in Jesus Christ, we all need guidance. And if you go through, you know, the deacon has someone he confesses to, I have someone that I confess to, the archbishop has someone he confesses to, the metropolitan has someone he confesses to, there's nobody outside of this loop of accountability of needing someone and submitting yourself to someone uh, to get advice. This is especially true when we look at the fathers of Optina. Uh, if you're familiar with the writings of uh, Dostoevsky, uh, the Optina elders, especially in that when I was reading that list early on in that list, found Ambrosi and uh, Leonid Lev, uh, Dostoevsky, Zosima, if you're familiar with him from Boris Karamazov, uh, he basically exists in a kind of context that would be like the early Optina uh, monastery. In fact, Dostoevsky went to the Optina uh, monasteries, uh, monastery, especially uh, Tolstoy, but the Tolstoy stories for another time. Um, they were absolutely famous throughout Russia for guidance of souls. Now, they had a very special gift or charism that was given to them to be able to guide souls that is not uh, necessarily the same charism that a parish priest such as myself has, but there is the important to underlining of the desire, even the need to maybe make a pilgrimage to seek out um, consolation and direction. Now, there's extremes to this. Uh, there is abuse of this even. Uh, where you have spiritual direction that is things like, may I uh, go away for a weekend uh, to visit my parents? Can I have a blessing? Uh, can't, which kind of toothbrush? Or uh, we can get into craziness. And if you think that's crazy, good. Uh, and it does exist out there that there, um, this desire uh, can lead into all sorts of issues. But there's all, there is true and right and good spiritual guidance uh, that is founded especially in the spirit of the fathers uh, because it's not the guidance of one person, but it is the mind of the church, uh, the guidance that, the, like the fathers of Optina, who were heavily influenced uh, by the earlier fathers. They helped edit, translate, and disseminate the fathers throughout Russia as there was uh, kind of a starving at that time for the fathers in the Russian church. This guidance for the dogmatic, uh, the right ordering of the church, and even down into personal discernment as to uh, particular struggles or um, heartaches and where exactly are we supposed to find the will of God, is all to reside in the holy will of God. And this is discernible especially because I think this is something that 
is a burning topic for many people. How do I discern the will of God? What is the will of God for me? And they, you can err to one side of, it's something that is usually a very special idea, but I have a holy, like God has a specific special path for me. Uh, or um, something is going to become radiantly available to me. I mean, this is almost the arc of every movie that exists for us, right? Some child somewhere suddenly realizes they're the Messiah that's going to, you know, uncover and do all these things. Well, I would suggest as a shorthand, if you're trying to discern the will of God, the real will of God that you can absolutely put your hands on is that you need to be conformed to the image of the Son. That his holy will has been completely revealed in Jesus Christ. What it means to be human has been revealed completely in Jesus Christ. So if you're struggling with any particular advice, if you're struggling with any particular situations, you look to Jesus Christ and say, um, what is your will? What did you do? What would you do? Um, and you discern that. Maybe you need a little bit of guidance or encouragement, uh, or particularities of that. But then you conform yourself to his image. And as the prayer uh, notes for us, this is a haven. And what does a haven uh, a haven is a place of rest. It's a place like a harbor where the choppy waters exist outside of the harbor. It's the whole point of a harbor. This haven uh, is a protection. And that when we seek guidance, when God guides us, when the church in its wisdom guides us, uh, we are, in finding his will, we will be safe. We will be protected. Now, that haven uh, sometimes looks like a cross, so it maybe doesn't have the exact idea of what, uh, that there isn't going to be suffering for us. Uh, the will of God for us in many of the situations actually is suffering. Um, I'll just give a small example. To forgive somebody is to suffer for somebody. To put it aside and to say, I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I'm going to sacrifice this thing that I could hold over you. And instead, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to offer it up. And I'm going to instead embrace and love the person who has offended us or has done us wrong. It is a great sacrifice. It is a great suffering. But it is also a haven. It is also a place of peace uh, that, we may, that might take just some suffering for us to reach that place. May God guide us into the haven of his holy will. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.